From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch and our Faith in Freedom edition, where we take a a step back from the policies and the politics that dominate this city, and quite frankly, right now, the airwaves, to take a closer look at the men and women that actually make those policies and and what really kind of motivates them. We we want to talk with them about their role, the role that their Christian faith has played in them first running for office, stepping into this arena of public service, and then how it guides them each and every day uh, that they serve as members of Congress and obviously other offices as we talk to different ones. But today, we're going to hear from two members of Congress, the House of Representatives, Bill Huizinga of Michigan, and Dan Bishop of North Carolina. We're going to start with Dan in just a moment. But I want to, again, remind you, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss any of uh, today's program, you can catch it later. It's all archived. In fact, all of our programs archived at TonyPerkins.com. But I want to share another website. We're just days away from one of the most important elections in the history of our country. Probably have to go back to 1860 to to have an election that was comparable in importance in terms of determining the future of our republic. It's what the website PrayVoteStand.org. We have a lot of resources available. Now, I know just from some of the polling that we've done earlier in the week with our listeners that probably three-quarters of our listeners have already voted, but your work hasn't ended. You need to have conversations with family and with friends. I mean, just uh, recently we've seen articles coming out talking about uh, evangelical leaders saying, you know what, we just need to sit this election out. Uh, I I could not disagree more. We, We cannot sit this election out. We need to look at where the candidates stand on the issues and which one of them, which one of them lines up most closely with biblical truth and principles, and then we need to vote. And we've done a lot of that work for you at PrayVoteStand.org. We've got a comparison of the candidates, the presidential candidates. We have voter guides, in fact, a tailored voter guide. All you have to do is put in your address, and you can get one that lists uh, the people running in your area and ranking them where they stand on issues. We also have a party platform comparison a document and videos at PrayVoteStand.org. It's also there in Spanish. If uh, you want to share that with uh, your Hispanic neighbors and friends that want to see this information as well. Again, that website, PrayVoteStand.org. All right, as I said, this uh, this series, Pray uh, the Freedom, Faith and Freedom series, is created to give you an inside look on how our nation's leaders, you know, how they really tick, what makes them tick. And I know this happens because I hear from so many people who hear their programs. They're surprised to learn how many people, men and women, of deep faith are here in our nation's capital. But frankly, it shouldn't be surprising. Our nation was founded with biblical principles. Of course, it did move away. But I'm encouraged by what I see happening is more and more people of faith have been drawn to Washington, D.C., just in the time I've been here in the last almost 20 years. Well, one of those is Congressman Dan Bishop. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. And while he is proud of his home, he cherishes his faith in Christ even more. He has said very clearly that he is informed by his faith and is able to lead in Congress with a kingdom mindset. Standing for truth is something he takes pride in. While things like transgenderism and abortion seem to be running rampant, he notes faith does not endorse this type of behavior. 
Dan has been blessed with his wife, Joe, of over 20 years of marriage. He has uh, one child, Jack. Uh, he graduated from both with both a bachelor's and a law degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill before moving into the private sector for 29 years. But Dan felt a call, a call to public service in 2014 and was elected to the state legislature. In 2016, he became a state senator, and he now serves as a freshman member of Congress. So how does his faith guide him each and every day as he seeks to make an impact upon our country? Well, here to answer that question is Congressman Dan Bishop. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, let me just start with that question. How does your faith give guidance to you each day as you seek to impact our nation? Um, you know, Tony, I've had a, a, a long faith journey. It has indeed been a journey. Um, and at the point I come to at 56 years of age, it is the thing that guides me, my faith in Jesus Christ and in his word, is the thing that guides me more than any other influence in my life. And, um, you know, we've had a long history of people now, in the at least contemporary American history, of people insisting that uh, there's supposed to be some kind of separation, that, that we're supposed to uh, banish God from public life. And quite the contrary is really the principles on which the nation was founded. And, um, and I can't think of any other better approach to participating in public life than is with a firm foundation as a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you, you make reference to those that it's like they want people of faith to check their faith at the door. And I, to me, that's like, you know, it would make you schizophrenic because your faith is so much who you are and it guides and directs what you are. And I think that's the reason they want you to check it at the door is they don't want that faith to give uh, influence to to the decisions you make. But, but Dan, you made, you, you made reference about this being a journey. Would you mind kind of sharing with our listeners that journey? I'm happy to do it. So, uh, and, and I'm not sure some of this I've ever done uh, in this public forum, but uh, I have no hesitancy to share it because for me, it's a, it is a, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very personal story, but one that, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, I feel blessed by, uh, but I grew up as the fifth of five children, great family, great parents. My father was a dentist, mother had been a school teacher early on, but she had her hands full with five kids, uh, devoted to our family at every respect. We, but our, our faith life, we grew up, I grew up in an extremely liberal, independent Baptist church. Uh, for those who know Charlotte, North Carolina, it's Myers Park Baptist Church. And um, as a youth, in consequence, I mean, I heard a lot of social justice uh, gospel, I guess. Uh, but I didn't really learn much about the gospel. I've learned a lot about God's love, not much about God's word. Um, and... And I began, and so that's, <laughs> when you start from that, you end up where I am, it's really quite a long way, and there have been pieces all along the way that have been significant. When I was 23 or 4 uh, in law school, as I recall it, I began having more and more of a yearn to uh, read Scripture. Uh, I read a lot of it. I didn't understand a lot of it very well, <laughs> I think, even then. 
Um, but uh, it was something I, I spent, you know, I sort of had an objective to read through the entire scripture. There were pieces of it I didn't accomplish at the time, but it, it was, I, I know now that, that was just a yearn that I had um, that was a, was a form of call. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I returned to Charlotte in the, uh, I guess in 1990, in the next uh, several years, I uh, found my way into a, a United Methodist Church and and joined. And Joe and I have been members of uh, Providence United Methodist Church in Charlotte for about 27 years. Uh, 20, a few years before I, I married Joe and then in all the years of our marriage until the last year or so. Uh, and, you know, the, frankly, for me, that was an, in, a significant step uh, to, in, a, in a conservative theological direction. And I got a lot of things out of that. I mean, I, if you go back to John Wesley and the heritage of the United Methodist Church, there's enormous obedience to the word mm-hmm. uh, in, in, the, in the faith. Um, and uh, we spent time, Joe and I both took multiple, I think four different classes in what they call their disciple curriculum, and I think I it got a much more intensive uh, time in the Word, and, uh, and I found myself there as I went along, uh, I, I began feeling that I was in the, in the right, if you will, the conservative uh, of a uh, wing of that uh, of that of that denomination, and so I sat and listened to pastors who I thought were to my left, <laughs> but um, over a long period of time. And there were, and as I became later on to learn the discipline of the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, modern discipline, there were pieces of it that were very disturbing to me. I developed, maybe as my political interest developed, I was a. a I was pro-life for some time as a political matter before I really uh, became convicted of it uh, as my article of faith, which is sort of flip-flopped, sort of upside down, I realize now. But uh, but the United Methodist discipline accommodated abortions, uh, and um, and there were other things, but um, things that was fascinated with. But but still, the core of the faith is very. Um, faithful to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and scripture. But over the last several years, there's been just a fascination on matters of uh, uh, sexuality and radical sexual autonomy and, uh, and uh, in ways that, that and, and then a lot of a- effort by some of the leading light pastors in the United Methodist church to, um, to, Revise scripture, uh, revise the the language of the word, and right. uh, and say it and deconstruct it. And after they had their recent, you know, uh, special conference to try to deal with that, traditionalist won, and then they uh, the the powers that be inside the United States uh, United Methodist Church turned to sort of crush that traditionalist view. And I, Joe and I realized it was time for us to go. Um, we've been for the last couple of years members at uh, um, Moments of Hope Church, maybe a little less than a couple of years. Uh, Moments of Hope Church, where David uh, Chadwick preaches, who's been a pastor in Charlotte, frankly a Presbyterian pastor, is his origins, but he also has been a conservative pastor. 
And so that's kind of the the process. That's where we are now, and uh, uh, and it's a you know long long process. But I, as you said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I am a um, committed uh, and uh, and faithful um, follower of Jesus. Well, Dan, I want to I want to kind of delve a little deeper in that in terms of when you talk about scripture and what scripture has to say how that informs your public policy position, because that's, that's what we would call a biblical worldview, looking at the, the, the world around us through the lenses of Scripture. But we're up against a break, so we've got to take a, a quick break. And that's what I want to come back with is as a lawmaker, you held position in the, in the state, now Congress, how, how your faith in the Word of God, as you pointed to, helps us make those decisions. And quite frankly, I find it easier because the scripture is very clear. We, it's not our opinion. It's, it's the word of God and what it has to say. So, um, Dan, stick with us. Uh, folks, stick with us as well. We're going to be coming back on the other side of this break to continue our conversation with uh, Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. 
What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. We are back with more of our Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch with Congressman Dan Bishop of the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. Uh, Dan, we were talking before the break. I kind of set up the question of you talked about the Word of God and how it was important in the church, but how it was inconsistent with the holdings of uh, the church on some occasions, specifically the issue of life. But as a lawmaker, as a policymaker, arriving at some of these um, what are called difficult issues politically, but I don't think they're difficult spiritually because the Bible speaks so clearly to them. How does that inform you? How does the Word of God inform you as you make those decisions? Well, Tony, I think the you know you look at the Constitution and the history of the United States and what its foundation was you know embodied in so many ways and the idea in expressed right there in the very first amendment that uh, Americans are fundamentally entitled to live their faith and it was the you know, nature of the origins of the of the country and what does that mean in the context of the christian faith i think one of the things that americans have the hardest time maybe reckoning with in light of our culture of freedom is the notion of what's the purpose of the free of, of that freedom. It is not libertinism. Mm-hmm. It is freedom so that you can glorify God and you glorify God by an obedience to a recognition of the authority of scripture. Um, and so what we see is a culture that has, when it is, uh, dismissed God has objected to the involvement of God in society is fundamentally undermining the ability to live faith. And so when we see the the radical uh, idea about sexual identity and uh, and they keep their new things something new every year it seems in terms of the concepts that are that are proposed and advanced I know that my responsibility under the constitution is to preserve free exercise of religion and the, the ability to live faith. And you can't do that if you're asking people or forcing people in various walks of life to deny the authority of Scripture. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was sitting here, I got Romans open, Romans 1. It's this language that ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power, or eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. 
For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And, Tony, um, it's just, to me, the mission is clear. Uh, And there's been growth, my own growth, in in that, too. So when I was a county commissioner in the mid-2000s, I did a couple terms for four years, was never going to touch politics again, was cynical about prospects for success. And after a number of years in the wilderness, I came back to it. And one of the things that was instrumental in pushing me that direction was a friend who I'd always say, you know, conservatives can't succeed. It's a dead-end road. The country's going off in the wrong direction. And this person responded to me and said, you know, you have a funny way of looking at that for a Christian. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, you, you're always looking at the prospects of success, but God, the gospel talks about we have to take up our cross and carry it. He doesn't promise success. In fact, he promises quite the opposite. Um, but he calls us to obedience. Hmm. And that was something that stuck in was a pebble in my shoe. And, um, and eventually, I think, led me on what has been the most significant call of my life. I, this, the last several years, through an improbable set of circumstances that I found my way to Congress, I've never felt more called than I do now. And I know that my responsibility is for success or failure to pursue God's, to, to pursue law, just law, to govern this society and to fight for the right of people to live in consonance with God, with God's word. Well said. Um, and I do think that's the role we can't, we, we've got to fight for that and ensure that people have that ability. Uh, Dan Bishop, before we run out of time, I, I, I want to, you know, kind of personalize this even more. I know you, I thank you for being so candid with us talking about your faith journey, but along that journey, can can you point to something where, you know, you've been challenged, whether it's been politically or whether your family's gone through something where your faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ really brought you through? You can point to that. So, you know what? It was my trust in the Lord that brought me through that. Uh, there, there are a couple that sort of stand out. You know, Tony, one of the things that uh, national media never failed to be fascinated by is that I was in the state legislature as my, in my first year as a freshman in the North Carolina House. Uh, it tur- it came to pass that I was the lead primary sponsor of the law of the law known as HB2. Uh, Charlotte, the city of Charlotte where I lived, had originated an ordinance under which, among other things, men identifying as women could use the restroom or the shower uh, set aside for women. And uh, it was an abomination, of, uh, an attack on the rights of others and and I think you can't advance the rights of some by trampling the rights of others. And in the legislature, uh, we took steps to stop that ordinance, and it was called HB2, and I was the lead sponsor. It was a – I knew that it was going to be standing in front of a freight train to stand up to that, um, but I knew also it was evident to me by that point, given what I've talked about already, that that was what I was called to do. And I didn't have any fear about it. Uh, I didn't suffer a whole lot of angst about it, at least not for long. And, you know, um, I think that was planting an important flag in the ground in North Carolina. Absolutely. People always, the media always wants me to say I regret it. I don't. 
I did what I thought was right. Yeah, the only thing I would, the only issue I would say, I don't think it was just one freight train. I think it was two freight trains. I mean, that was an intense battle that uh, that you stood for there, and uh, certainly commend you for that. And I, I, I don't know how someone could do that without having an abiding faith. Uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Dan Bishop, you hear that music, we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time that you have to join us and just share with our listeners uh, your journey of uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Tony, for the chance. It's great to be with you. God bless you. All right. Uh, Dan Bishop of North Carolina represents the 9th Congressional District. Don't go away because we're going to come back with more Washington Watch when we hear from uh, Congressman Bill Huizenga of uh, Michigan. He's next here on this Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. Don't go away. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to this Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, as always, TonyPerkins.com. And let me give you one more website to uh, to make use of, especially in the next week. It's important. Pray, vote, stand. Lots of resources there. Comparison between the two-party platforms. Voter guide on the uh, the candidates and where they stand on the issues. And a list of accomplishments of the uh, the Trump administration as it pertains to the issues that we talk about here each and every day. Again, that website, PrayVoteStand.com. 
org. All right, in just a moment, we're going to be joined by U.S. Congressman Bill Heisinga. Uh, Bill represents the uh, the second district of Michigan. Bill's interest in public service began at his family's dinner table as a kid, as his father, who served on the Zeeland City Council, encouraged thoughtful discussion surrounding business and politics and, you know, our responsibility to be engaged in the community around us. He attended Holland Christian High School and Calvin College, where he met his wife, Natalie. After he graduated with a degree in political science, uh, Bill became an entrepreneur, uh, doing everything from hauling gravel to teaching ballroom dance with his wife. Now, that's a combination, hauling gravel and doing ballroom dancing. He and his wife have uh, stayed in Ottawa County, Michigan, and they still go to Haven Christian Reformed Church. They started out homeschooling their five children, but now send them to Zeeland Christian School for the Spanish Immersion program. Before running for Congress, Bill worked as the director of public policy for longtime Congressman Pete Hoekstra. He also served six years in the Michigan House of Representatives, where he chaired the Commerce Committee. Bill Heisinga was sworn into Congress in 2011 on the Family Bible. For Bill, everything in politics is about his Christian faith, so that's why he has promoted the National Day of Prayer, spoken out against criticism of thoughts and prayers in response to the tragedies that have occurred in our nation. And he has worked with the Douglas Leadership Institute, which works to apply biblical principles to life while promoting justice, liberty, and virtue. U.S. Congressman Bill Heisinga serves on the House Financial Services Committee, and he is a member of the Republican Study Committee and the Congressional Constitutional Caucus. Bill, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, it is really good to be with you, and I got to commend you. You dug deep to find the uh, the ballroom dancing one. That's uh, that that's a little bit of a hidden gem in my background. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you, I'm jealous because my <laughs> wife and I have taken ballroom dancing a, a couple of times, and and we we, we in fact we did it this last spring because my uh, one of my daughters was getting married, and I wanted to be able to dance, and so we went and we took ballroom dancing, and then the coronavirus hit. And uh, we had to have the wedding in our front yard, and so the dancing kind of went out the, uh, the the window. But it's always been my desire to ballroom dance. So uh, now that I know that you're an instructor, my wife and I are coming up there to uh, to Michigan, and you're going to teach us. All right. Well, we can definitely do that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that uh, it was my mom uh, who uh, who taught me that dad not – so much he wasn't uh he 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 has a challenge sometimes keeping a beat but mom was uh very very graceful and it was something i grew up with and and in my faith tradition in the dutch reformed church uh rhythmic movement as we would call it because you wouldn't want to be doing any dancing uh was not really embraced uh but so i i always joke i was absolutely the only kid at holland christian high school that knew how to foxtrot but uh it, it helped me meet my wife and uh, my sister met her husband uh, that way. My mom and my older sister had a uh, had a studio for a number of years, and it's just been a wonderful way for us to connect as a family over the years. Yeah, I I, I think it's great. You know, as a Baptist, I'm not supposed to do that either. But I think uh, ballroom dancing with your wife is a wonderful thing to do. But let's talk a little bit about what your dad did teach you. He may not have taught you how to dance, but he certainly, it appears, taught you how to walk out your Christian faith in the world around you. Yeah, he uh, he absolutely did. And, um, you know, sometimes you don't learn the depth of it all 
uh, until uh, maybe it's a little too late. And and I I had that as I was getting older. And my dad was uh, quite a bit older than uh, I was. He was in World War II. He was born in 1921 uh, and was a disabled World War II veteran. And so he got a very late start in life and, and uh, didn't have me until he was 47. And had my uh, younger sister when uh, when uh, she, uh, he was 49, and um, you know this this undercurrent of service though was always something that was a part of my dad and my mom's uh, you know involvement in the community, and it wasn't until I uh, my dad was gone uh, a few years ago he died in uh, 2016 that really the full depth of his impact on not just me and other family members, but on so many others who he inspired uh, to be involved and be engaged and to, uh, and to approach things very thoughtfully and prayerfully with, uh, you know, with his faith at the core of it. And uh, that, was, that was the thing that just really blew me away was once dad was gone, having all these folks come up to me uh, at funeral and at visitation and things like that, that had such passionate stories about how uh, he had affected them. We're, we're almost up against a break, but I mean, obviously, y- your father had the opportunity then to see you elected to Congress when you came in in 2011. Any any words of wisdom that your father imparted you on that occasion? Yeah, don't mess up. No, <laughs> no, he was uh, he was very thoughtful again, very very proud, and you know, again, knew that. Um, the purpose of this wasn't for self-edification. It wasn't for betterment of self. It was for betterment of our community and our and our God. And uh, and it really that was uh, that was such an important lesson. Bill, hold that thought. We're going to come back on the other side of the break and continue our conversation. In particular, how your faith in Jesus Christ led you down this path of public service. Folks, don't go away. We'll come back with more with Congressman Bill Huizenga after this. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, 
received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Listening to a special Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it is at T Perkins. My guest in this uh, second portion of the program, Congressman Bill Heisinga of uh, Michigan. He represents the second district. Also, uh, that's kind of home to uh, actually one of FRC's uh, divisions up in uh, in Western Michigan. Uh, where we've uh, been for a number of years, where we have our uh, constituent relations and such. Uh, but before the break, we were talking uh, about uh, Bill and his uh, words of advice from his dad as he was elected to Congress. And, Bill, you know, I, I, I know it's got to be gratifying that, you know, before your father passed away, went on to, uh, to, 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 to his eternal reward, that he had a chance to see you in that role as a member of Congress and I'm sure that was very gratifying to him to see what he had poured into your life uh, begin to to blossom and come forth uh, in that way. L- let me ask you this as you look back on your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal relationship. How did that lead you down this path of public service? Well, you know, like like so often in life, Tony, um, it's really that modeling, right? And uh, I, I love, I've always loved this visual of uh, preach the gospel daily and use words if necessary, right? Yeah, that's, I think you can just really tell where someone is coming from uh, in their uh, in their actions. And uh, it, it is true that uh, the in the that Dutch Reformed uh, uh, history. Uh, we don't necess- we aren't necessarily the most effusive about our faith and, and wear it out on our sleeve, but it's so deeply held. You see it in so many people's actions. And, um, you know, I had mentioned uh, a little earlier, my dad was a disabled World War II veteran, and it was two days before Christmas in 1944 when he was in a B-24 crash in southern Italy. And he, uh, he, he had told me a number of times that, he didn't think he was going to make it out, and he uh, he had to make peace with God. And he then um, 
really realized that every day after that wasn't his, and it was a gift uh, that he had been given. And he lived life that way. And that really was, uh, was I think, so pervasive in, in how he approached everything. You know, it was not about himself. He was a very humble guy, even though he was pretty successful in business and certainly in politics, local politics. Uh, he had a lot of, uh, uh, of reasons to be sort of proud and proud and loud about some of these things. Uh, and he was internally proud, but he definitely wasn't loud about it. And, and I think that's also what attracted so many people to mm-hmm. him. When you consider your, your faith, which obviously, as we we're talking about here, was a, a big part of you growing up. The, the, your father modeled it. You went to a Christian high school, Christian college. You know, some are saying, well, there's no place for that in politics. You've got to check it at the door. What do you say to that? Well, that, that, that's not even... Uh, that's not uh, even realistic on the history part of it, right? Um, you look at uh, our founding fathers. You look at the, how faith was such a, a, a core part of who they were for so many of them, a vast majority of them. You look at the number of signers of the Declaration, for example, and uh, the fact that they were ministers. Um, so faith has always been a part of our, our politics, and it's really been the secular world that has tried to drive it uh, apart. Now, we're not a theocracy, right? You know, we're, 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 not, uh, we're not that. Uh, but, uh, again, Everything that I'm about, I view through the lens of my faith. Uh, it, it's it's this uh, as uh, as Kuiper, who uh, Abraham Kuiper, a Dutch uh, theologian who also served as prime minister, uh, talked about you know these spheres of influence, and you can't separate those two. Those are uh, any of them. You know, all these spheres of our life are interlocked and overlapping, and uh, how could I possibly? be less of a man of faith uh, at a business or in my family or in my politics uh, than, uh, than uh, you know, than trying to separate those things out. And, you know, I think that's where we see real problems grow when people don't integrate their faith into their business practices, into their family, into their social interactions. And it's it's just critical that that is at the core of who we are and what then therefore how we act. Yeah, I like the fact you mentioned uh, Abraham Kuyper. And there was uh, a quote that um, I really like of his where he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And and I think uh, that is the and this Baptist adopts that uh, reform, uh, Dutch reform uh, theologian's view of that that there is nothing in our lives that should not come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean it's always baffling to me that somehow people want to be uh, you know a Christian on Sunday and maybe on alternate Wednesdays. Uh, but then they want to somehow leave that at the uh, at, at, at the doorstep uh, when they go into work, or when they literally walk through their uh, the, the threshold of their uh, of their house when they go interact with their family, or when they're doing anything else in their life. Um, you know, that's where we start getting ourselves really, really tripped up. Uh, when you try to have this duality in your head, right? Uh, you, you know, I'm 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 a follower of Christ 
no matter what my job is. You know, it happened to be I was in real estate and developing and own a gravel pit. Uh, and I was no less of a follower of Christ then or no more of a follower of Christ than I am now as, uh, as a member of Congress. And I think that's the way it should be. So, Bill, how does that, that faith in, in that role that you're in, which is a public one, you know, as a member of Congress, you represent people and you've got to make some tough decisions. Uh, you know, how does your Christian faith, your re- relationship with Jesus Christ, how does that help you in this diff- difficult role? Yeah. And, and I want to maybe start with this. Um, you had mentioned uh, in the first segment that uh, I had served as a uh, district director, a staffer for my predecessor, a guy named Peter Hoekstra, who is now the ambassador to the to the Netherlands uh, these days. And I remember him being asked when I was a younger staffer, uh, someone was asking him, you know, how is your faith in Washington? And he said, my faith has actually grown. And I was like, wow, really? How can it be? You know, you're under assault and all these other things. And for me, uh, then having those years as a staffer, having some years as a state legislator, and now in this role, I fully get it. I totally get it because my faith is challenged every day, and I have to examine issues that I never, frankly, would have had to do if it wasn't for this position. Uh, you know, everything from bathroom usage uh, to health care uh, to international relations uh, you know, I've had to examine uh, these these very difficult issues uh, from that lens and from that angle of my faith, and then uh, integrate that as to how that uh, how that uh, informs me on my policy and my voting. Uh, so I, I would say I, I would follow my uh, my my mentor and friend and, and predecessor Peter uh, Hookstra by saying my faith has actually grown in this position, and I think it's surprising to some people that uh, that I would say that. Well, and I, I I often ask this. Of course, you were a staffer, so you saw what was taking place on the Hill, and you were kind of familiar with the members that were there. But many members of Congress who come, believers who come. Uh, are actually surprised by the the depth of the faith that they find in their colleagues. And I've, quite frankly, over the almost 20 years I've been at, at FRC, I've actually seen an increase. I've seen more and more people yeah. of faith, men and women, being called here by God uh, as a part of their ministry. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I know that became very uh, apparent to my wife, Natalie, and I and. Uh, 2010, after we won the general election, you you get shipped to Washington for orientation, and it's all very whirlwind type of uh, stuff uh, that's coming at you. And we were both just so floored by the depth and the integrity of so many people that we had met who had just been elected as well, and how how in important and, uh, and, and central to who they were, their faith was. And it was, you know, people from all over the country with very different uh, faith backgrounds, uh, but uh, we, had a, we had a belief in Christ, and we had a belief in our role in being a tool for God's kingdom. And uh, that, was, uh, that was really awesome to see. 
Now, having said that, uh, there's also a lot of pitfalls, right? I always joke that I never knew I was so smart or good-looking until I showed up in Washington, D.C., because it's like, oh, representative, oh, how did we survive without you, right? You know? And uh, and and it, it it's a siren song, and unfortunately, and I know you've seen this too, Tony. There are some folks who aren't quite equipped uh, and ready to uh, to deal with that. And there's been some very good people, men and women of faith, who have fallen uh, because of some of those uh, those traps. Yeah, and that's all the more reason why that faith has to be real and yeah. uh, engaged in each and every day as a as, as really a, as the as the guide in the direction of our, our steps. Bill, um, before we run out of time here, I, I, because this journey that you've been on, you've, you've been at the local level, you've been a state representative, and you've, you're now in Congress, you've been a staff member, what would you say to believers out there who feel a sense of maybe the Lord's calling them into this realm, but they've always seen politics as kind of dirty business and not something Christians should get involved in? What would you say to them? Yeah, I guess I'd maybe go back to your uh, your quotation of Abraham Kuyper. You know, not one square inch of this world isn't the Lord's. It's a fallen world. We're imperfect. There is no doubt. Uh, but it's our job, in my mind, to be engaged and involved and to p- try to perfect this world as best we possibly can in an unfallen. Uh, you know, it's impossible. It's a, it's a fallen. It's a fallen uh, creation. Yet. Um, it seems to me we've got a responsibility to uh, to our fellow man, uh, to our kids, our, our future, and and ultimately to the Lord to uh, to really try to serve Him and through serving others. And so, uh, you know, oftentimes people feel like, oh, I could never run for office. You know what? Going and volunteering and being a part of uh, the uh, the zoning board of appeals. You don't know how important that might be in a local community, yeah. or being a township trustee or a, a supervisor. Um, you, you know, you don't have to. Uh, you, you don't have to be putting your name up for Congress or governor or president or something like that necessarily to still serve. And uh, I, I just I would want to encourage people. To, to view it as a way of really serving the Lord while serving others and really trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. Yeah, there's so many opportunities to do that. And, and, and I don't know that there's ever been a time where it's been so needed, where people oh. of faith who have a value construct that is beneficial to all will make themselves available, whether it's the school board, you know, city council, as you talked about. We just somebody needs to do it and it might as well be us. We might as well bring well, our values to the table. A- amen. You know, Richard John Newhouse talks about this, the, uh, the the naked public square, right, where if our voice is not in that public square, um, it, you know, it's just going to get lost and drowned out. And you mentioned school boards. Think of a time, I can't think of one, uh, where we've needed people of faith involved in education. Uh, and, you know, this is just cru- crucial uh, in my mind. Yeah, it is. There's an all-out assault on our children, and it's being launched through the public school system. That doesn't mean everybody in the school system is bad or all the educators or teachers, many, 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 many good people there. But the people that set the policies are the one who are going to dictate what comes out in most of those classrooms, and that's why uh, we need to have men and women of faith 
who understand right from wrong, who are not afraid to acknowledge transcendent truth and stand up and uh, and defend that. It's absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we don't have to be offensive about it. Uh, it's just being there and voicing it in a loving, compassionate way is oftentimes so new to people who don't have a familiarity with people of faith. Uh, Bill, a uh, final question for you as we're on our way out. How can uh, our listeners who we, we've got listeners in uh, Michigan and all across the uh, the country and literally around the uh, the globe, how can they be praying for you and your colleagues? Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I always request. Uh, I request prayers for wisdom because we need it. <laughs> There's uh, there's uh, there's definitely uh, a, a time and a need for uh, for that wisdom as we're moving through all of this, and then we sometimes forget about the you know the basics of life you know traveling mercies uh, we're on airplanes all the time for example and in a vehicle we're separated from our families so I always ask that people pray for not just me but for my family uh, because oftentimes um, those family units especially a, a spouse. Uh, they're the ones that are paying a very, very heavy price. Uh, so it's not just the person whose name is on the ballot who's serving. It is uh, those family members that are behind us all that, uh, that really do pay a price as well. So yeah, wisdom, uh, you know, safety as we travel and gather, and especially in a COVID area uh, environment like this where yeah. we've got people from around the country and then really for our families. All right. Uh, well said. I completely, completely understand. Bill Heisinger, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. A real honor, uh, privilege to be with you. I appreciate it, Tony. And thanks for the great work that you and FRC do. I appreciate it. And folks, I want to encourage you to pray, just as Bill has asked. Well, we're out of time. So until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found at Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 